Hi, my name's Adam, and this is the Foster Adoption Podcast, a resource for people who are interested in growing their family by adopting children from foster care. Hello. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to meet... <laughs> Hello, welcome. We have a very special guest. This is the certification episode, and as I was reading to Matt all of the things that I wanted to talk about, he was telling me all of the things that I was getting wrong, because he is the certification expert, and so he agreed after lots of prodding to to join me for this episode. So welcome, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> so I will go ahead and start, and then you can interject with all of the things that I've gotten wrong. Excellent. You have to go through what? When you tell your friends and family about the process to become certified to adopt children from foster care, they will have a consistent response. You have to do What? To the outside world, and many times to you, the process will seem long, invasive, and just too much. People will say things like, I didn't lock up the knives in my house, and my kids turned out just fine. And people will say, there are so many kids in need. Why do they make you go through all of this? And then Matt brought up that they also say... Or the other hand, they would be like, oh, I think all parents should have to go through this. Which you're just like, yeah... But at the same time, too, you're just like, they don't. <laughs> and there were times when we agreed with all of these people and all of these comments. But in retrospect, I think the certification process was largely completely justified and necessary. And I think you should, too. There were a few moments that made us come to this epiphany. Uh, chief among them was our home inspection. We failed our home inspection, and we were not happy about it. We really didn't fail it. It was about six pages long, and we, there was one check that we didn't get correct. So, we failed our home inspection. Okay, kind of technically. <laughs> <laughs> but really, this is a one checkpoint. So, Matt is extremely good at this stuff. He was uh, very diligent and went through, there's over a hundred things that you have to do for your home inspection and uh he did them all um uh it there was just one thing that we didn't actually think that they were going to check our hot water so on the checklist it says hot water has to be between 105 and 120 degrees so we grabbed our thermometer just the one we use when we're sick and we put it under water and it said about 124 degrees and we're like all right it's pretty good it's pretty close so we're like pretty happy. We're like, all right, that's it's perfect. Until the social worker started going through the checklists. So, which brings me to the biggest piece of advice. In this system, there are no gray areas. None of them. If it says that you need to do something, they will not deviate from it. It doesn't matter how much logic you bring to the table. There is no deviating from the rule. Not even a little bit. So at the end of our home inspection, our social worker placed a thermometer under our sink's hot water, and we chuckled because she was actually going through the process of measuring it. She muttered an, uh-oh, and our ears perked up. We couldn't believe it. Our hot water was indeed a few degrees too hot. 
and we would have to adjust our hot water heater and it takes an entire cycle of water to go through before the new temperature comes through therefore we didn't pass and the worker would have to come back at a later time to check the hot water again she was very kind about it but she was just like technically when i come back next week we'll measure the hot water and we'll make sure that it does fall between 105 and 120 and just a little side note our hot water now is 113 degrees we learned a lot about water heaters, and we learned that A, B, and C are not the only choices on a water heater. You have hot and below hot. And to get between 105 and 120 on our water heater, we had to go below hot. <laughs> so we were frustrated and perplexed. It seemed so extraneous, unnecessary, and just ridiculous that we would experience an actual delay because of something so seemingly preposterous. Talking about preposterous for a quick moment, one of the checkoff points that actually mentioned was about aluminum foil. On our six-page checkoff list, it said you're not allowed to have aluminum foil in your house. So all your items in your refrigerator need to be used with um, saran wrap and not aluminum foil. So we had to make sure all aluminum foil was gone and only saran wrap was in. We asked our social worker about this and she was like, um, I don't know why that's there. We asked the supervisor about this and she just kind of chuckled. She's like, are you serious? And we're like, yeah, it's there. It was like on page two in the kitchen. Well, realizing about a year later that one item was taken off and aluminum foil was not really mentioned or brought up again later. But it was something that was originally on our checkoff list. So we still don't know the reason for that one, but... The next morning after the hot water gate, uh, I was reading the newspaper and there was an article about abuse within the foster care system. The first story of abuse that the article mentioned was how an older foster child severely burned a younger child by holding his hand under the hot water in the sink. I took a deep breath and realized that it may seem crazy, it may seem illogical, and I may not understand everything that we have to do. But every rule that we have to follow was created because of some awful thing that happened in the past. So if you put yourself in this mindset from the start, it will save you a lot of frustration. So for us, there were four main parts of the certification process. A pile of paperwork, training classes, the home inspection, and the home study. Matt is obsessed with getting things done as fast and efficient as possible. So it took us about three months to get certified, which is a wicked fast outlier. Most people take six months to even a year or longer to get certified, but you go at your own pace and your own path. Our agency's training took place on four straight Saturdays for eight hours at a time. I previously mentioned how the county training was 10 three-hour sessions. Everywhere does it differently, but I think it's between 30 to 40 hours of total training. I think we loved the trainings. Our trainer later became our agency's social worker and she's one of our favorite people in the entire world. They are interesting and intense. We had about 10 people in our trainings, uh, some couples and individuals who ran the gamut of diversity. Uh, one couple had grown children and they just wanted to be foster parents for babies. One lady uh, already had a bio child and wanted to adopt another child. Everyone had a different path. So the foster care system is intense. The children are in the system for a reason. Um, most are there for, because of neglect, some because of physical abuse, and a smaller amount for sexual abuse. All have experienced trauma. Therefore, much of the training is focused on how to parent children who have experienced trauma. It was pretty intense, the trainings, too. Um, 
I think a lot of times when we were going through the trainings, you would get every single scenario. And at these trainings, they do prepare you for any possible scenario. And I don't want to say from best case to worst case, because it's more like from intense case to really intense case. And I mean, all, all these kids have gone through something. Um, if they didn't go through something, they wouldn't be in the system. So you're just kind of hoping, sadly to say, but for the best of the worst, you know? And so it's just like, when we did hear that majority of the kids were under the neglect, we were a little surprised. The entire group was like, oh, we all thought there was some type of abuse. But when you look at it, less than 20% of the kids fall under the physical abuse and about 3% fall under the sexual abuse. So hearing all these different stories and how to deal with these issues for neglect, physical abuse, and sexual abuse was pretty intense. By the time we finished each training each day, uh, we were emotionally drained. It was, it was a lot. And there were times where we, Adam and I would have to just sit down and just reflect and talk about and just kind of, um, what's the word, de decompressed? Yeah. Just to kind of like bring ourselves back down again. Because it was it was it was intense, but on the other hand, it did prepare us for the process. And I, I think it's easy to enter this process with a Pollyanna view of that I'm going to love and care for a child, and that will make it all better. The thing is that they've experienced pain, and that pain is going to manifest in some way at some point, and it's important to be cognizant of that fact. The best thing that I think that we saw. Uh, that illustrates this process is a short film called Unwanted. It shows how a young girl and her little brother enter the foster care system and how various experiences that seem inane to uh, most people serve as scary triggers for her. I'll put a link on the on the website. And that was actually very true <coughs> because you'll see in the video, you see a little girl who is taken away from her family and has moved into this foster family. Um, and... It wasn't really working out, so she was taken out of that foster family and taken to another family, which soon became her forever family. But there were a couple little triggers, and we were surprised. First in the video, we were a little surprised by what a trigger could be. But with our boys, we found out that those triggers are real, and it could be anything from a shirt to a pair of shoes to seeing McDonald's. Um, Every single one. You're even seeing, of course, their birth family. All those things could be a trigger, and you never know when it will happen. Um, you could be sometimes in the middle of dinner, and everything's in going, like you're talking about amusement parks or Disneyland, and then all of a sudden they'll bring up a random question. Mm -hmm. So triggers are a very big thing and something to be prepared for because you never know what type of question they'll ask. Or they'll see something or smell something or hear something. Music was another thing, too, that could cause triggers. And that goes along with just many of the things that we learned in training have stuck with us throughout our journey. Uh, my favorite is the age exercise. They used age to show how being in the foster care system can affect different aspects of your child. The child may be seven years old biologically, but because they've missed a lot of school, their academic age could be much younger. Or because they were neglected, their emotional age could be much younger. But because they've had to experience so much that their peers haven't, like going to court and taking care of their siblings and going through other emotional pain, some aspects of their age are much more mature. We've definitely noticed this with our kids. They uh, both were behind in academics and speech, but are catching up rapidly. 
but in terms of new experiences and things that may be scary for most kids, like the first day of school or roller coasters, for example, they have no fear because they, compared to what they've been through, these things just aren't really scary. But also, too, they also have put up a brave front a lot of times, especially the first few months. And, you know, now we've had the boys for almost a year now. And even right now, it's like they, they're feeling a lot more comfortable. And they're showing some of their fears. And, like, one thing we realize is that they're scared of spiders, both of them. And we found out later that there are stories because of that, that spiders kind of trigger a fear for them. But um, it, it's... It is something that, I mean, it's true, is that our older one was a lot stronger in the way of he was a lot, he was really brave. And he was very arm's distance with us for the first few months, which is good. At the training, they shared that if a child is arm's distance with you, that's a very good sign because you want them to put a guard up. You want them to um, kind of protect themselves. But if they start throwing themselves at you and saying, I love you, or it gives you hugs so quickly, that's sometimes something to kind of worry about a little bit. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what they said about that at the training? Well, just that it's uh, it's inauthentic, and it's kind of them being how they think that you want them to, to be, and how it's much more honest and real if they are uh, they're putting up that, that guard. So our older one was had that guard up, and the younger one, which was a few years, a couple years younger, um, he was kind of like the type that was a little bit more huggier. So I don't think he really knew exactly what was going on. Realizing now he's beginning to have little moments where he's sharing about his experiences. So um, that shows a little bit how the training can, can affect the real life. And getting back to the certification, while you're completing your training and your homework for training, you can start the paperwork aspect of your certification concurrently. We recommend asking for your background check forms on day one of your training. The background check system that is used is straight out of 1975. It exists in a world that is void of technological convenience. We made an appointment at this random travel agency slash notary slash check cashing slash background check place. It was so bizarre, uh, but you make your appointment online, but you need two appointments, one for foster care, one for adoption. I assumed that making one appointment would be good enough and we would just do both of them. Once again, don't assume there is any accommodation available or any gray area at all because there isn't. So It we... was very interesting. When we walked in there is that we had to give our names and they said they're here for one type of fingerprinting and then they're like, no, we're here for this too. And they're like, you had to make an appointment for that too. Yeah. So we fortunately were able to call up the, the number, 800 number, and book it right then and there. And we were able to get the first set, and I think we had to come back for the second set the next day. Yeah, so we ended up having to make two trips to this just cray place. And you go and you get your fingerprints done on a machine, and then they submit them to three agencies for background checks. And it took about 17 years to complete. Um, maybe not that long. but It really took about a few months. It did take about a few months for everything to get in. One set of fingerprints came in about within a week, um, and that was one of the electrical ones, electronic ones. And then everything else is through paper. And and I think I went in thinking, oh, well, when I do a background check for my job, it took one day and it's all online. But you just can't think that way because after a couple months, we didn't receive our full clearances. And so our social worker had to use snail mail to send a request. And 
it just nothing is done with any kind of efficiency at all and so uh, eventually they came through but all of our babysitters also have to get fingerprinted and we put four people through the process and the person who did it last got the results first and the person who did it first had to go back and do it again because they had no record of it the the first time so basically it's just it's a mess so go in as fast as possible and just anticipate problems and then if there aren't any you can be pleasantly surprised um adam mentioned babysitters it's something to really start thinking about at the very beginning uh, we didn't start thinking about it till about midway to almost the end of the training but then afterwards we had a few friends who were just like oh we want to be babysitters so we had three friends and then we actually found an official babysitter that we paid. Um, find them now, because as, as Adam shared, is that the first person that did it out of the four babysitters, all her stuff showed up very last, and even that some of it was lost. And then the last person that did it, all his stuff was turned in first, and all his stuff came in. But look for your babysitters, because there's going to be a list of things that your babysitters are going to have to do, from like CPR, from background checks, having their car checked out. They're going to need DMV driver's um, reports. Also, you're going to need your DMV report, which, as you know, with the DMV, unless you go in, could take about a month before, months to six weeks before you get that stuff in the mail. So a lot of this paperwork is quick, but some of it you have no choice but to wait. Yeah. And, and with the babysitters, uh, you may be confused, thinking, well, can't I just leave them with anybody? And no is the is the answer. Once you have kids in your home, you can't just leave them with anyone. Um, Including your parents. Yeah. Or even if, like, they're older kids and uh, you they want to go to the movies with their friends and, uh, and their friends' parents, they can't. Uh, anyone you leave them with for up to 12 hours at a time needs to be certified as a babysitter through your agency. And to do that, they have to go through everything that Matt just talked about. For anything over 12 hours, you need to use respite care, which is another certified person through your agency. Um, yeah, your babysitters need to be fingerprinted and have first aid CPR training, and they need to do their DMV record insurance papers. So a lot of the stuff that you do that Matt was talking about. Um, most people only get one person certified because it's such an expensive and intense process. But like Matt said, we put four people uh, uh, through it and it's just paid dividends. It's not really that expensive. I think the most expensive thing was the CPR because you probably need adult infant child, which is about $110 if you go through the American uh, Red Cross or through American Heart Association. Um, the DMV report itself is about $5 per person, but that takes about a month and a half. And then the actual fig fingerprinting takes about $55. So you're looking about, including CPR, almost a little less than $200 per person um, to do it. If the person's already certified in CPR, that was a quick check off right there. So after you have all paperwork submitted and you are done with your training classes, they schedule your home inspection. By this time, you need to have a pretty good idea of what your profile is in terms of what kind of children you are going to be bringing into your home. We knew that we wanted two siblings between the ages of two and five. Three and five. <laughs> two and five. Three and five. <laughs> children under two are able to stay in the master bedroom. For children under five, two children of any gender can share a room. But older than five, children in the same room must be the same gender. In our room, we only have one room available for the children. And since we wanted two, we needed two siblings of the same gender. So for the home inspection, we knew that we needed to have two beds set up in the room and a place to store clothes. So if you want to adopt a baby, you probably have to have a crib set up in the room. Basically, you just need to make sure that your 
housing setup is, reflects what you want your profile to be uh, before your inspection. But one of the challenging things that a lot of people didn't know about, and when we spoke about it at some of the meetings, was that a lot of times parents would turn around and say, oh, we want something, you know, some child under the age of five or under seven. So it could be from birth to like five years old. And which is great, it opens the doors a little bit more. But one of the catches is is that you need your room has to be prepared for that age. So if you're saying from birth to five, uh, zero, one, and two, you could use a crib. But once you get to two on up, you're you're looking into some type of bed. And what we found at some stores is that they do have some cribs that turn into beds. But it's something to kind of keep your mind on because we wanted two boys. And if we got by chance a two-year-old and a five-year-old, we would need one crib and one captain's bed. And some of the people we were talking to said that they had to actually buy two beds and then in, in turn had to turn them and put two cribs into their room because they got two little ones. Just to uh, finish up on the home inspection, the last com uh, part that we had uh, problems with was because of our swimming pool. If you do have a swimming pool, there are some extra things that you need to do. Again, there is no gray area. We have a pool, so we knew that we were going to have to get a pool fence. However, there was one part of the pool that is really close to the house, and we read the state law, and it said that a waiver could be given for us to not pull the pool fence in that area and to just put locks and alarms on those windows instead. Our agency said we could try to get the waiver if we wanted, but they weren't sure the state licensing agency would go for it. So we took measurements and we made a fancy video to show how safe the area was without the fence in front of the two windows in that area. And we were convinced that we did a great job making an amazing case. So just one thing to kind of get a little visual too is that our window from the pool was 36 inches. So, I mean, we have two windows that were next to the pool. So we put up locks. We put on um, little things that you cannot open the window more than four inches. We had other a backup on that too. So then you could, we uh, on the track, you put a lock there too, that, a twist lock. So there's no way that these that window was going to open more than four inches. However, we waited from the licensee agency for a bit of time, almost, I would say about two months yeah. or so. Yeah. And um, we kept on calling them, and our social workers were calling them, and the supervisor of our social workers kept on calling them. We gave them pictures. We did documentation. At one point, the social worker turned around and said that she had to send everything to her supervisor because the licensing agency wanted everything directly from the supervisor or director. So she forwarded everything to the supervisor, who just in turn just forwarded the same information. And at one point, we just had everything done for certification except for this one piece of paper. We called, the social workers called them. They're like, hey, it's been two months. We are waiting for you. We need a yes or no. And the guy just turned around and was like, you know, fine, no. So we kind of have a feeling that they never really looked at any of the paperwork we sent or the videos or anything. And instead of saying yes, they just automatically say no to keep be safe. So we put up the fence. We got certified in that area, and we were able to check that off from the six pages. And so, again, just no gray areas. They, you, if you think that you can get special uh, accommodation because of some logical thing, maybe it's possible, but in our, in our case, it wasn't. So, we had our paperwork done, our training done, and our home inspection done. It was time for the last part, our home study. Uh, we talked to everyone we could, and I scoured the web for 
home study experiences. Early on, I read Dan Savage's book, and when he talked about his home study, he said the first question was, so, why do you want kids? I was obsessed with the answers of this question because it's just such a simple question, but a hard question to answer. In Dan Savage's book, he replied with humor and said, well, Terry and I have been growing apart and we think a baby will bring us closer together. And I'm hoping a child can accomplish the things that we didn't in our lives. And also we feel sorry for orphans. The shocked worker eventually realized it was a joke and she laughed. But for our home study, it sure didn't feel like a time for jokes. In our agency training, a couple came in and talked to talk to us about their experiences and we asked them about the home study. They said it was scary because the worker put two questionnaires in front of them and they had to fill them out simultaneously without talking to each other. And they were terrified that their answers wouldn't jive. One of them said, oh no, I smoked pot once in high school and my partner doesn't know that. If we answer the, that question differently, will they think that we're lying? It was all very terrifying at the time. So Matt and I found sample questionnaires and we studied and we practiced. We were ridiculous because in reality, none of that was needed at all. It was kind of funny, actually, because we were times in, during the summer before the trainings, uh, we would just go swimming and just ask questions like, what are your thoughts about religion? What are your thoughts about God? Why do you want to bring kids into this world? What type of schools would you send them to? And the two of us were just like, any random question we could think of. We would throw at each other, and it was fun because it was kind of fun hearing each other's answers, and we'd throw some fun questions like, "What are your dreams and hopes?" And it, it, it was, you know, we made something very stressful into a fun getting to know each other a little bit more. And this is even after like how many years, eight plus years that we've been together. Oh my gosh, no, it's been like <laughs> like two hundred or something. Yeah, something like that. In the end, all you really need to prepare is honesty. The thing is, most of whatever you have going on does not disqualify you. In many cases, it makes you a stronger parent. If you have addiction in your family, if you have depression in your family, if you have experienced unpleasant things, chances are that you're going to be more empathetic to the experiences of children in your home and their birth family experiences as well. So we had the nicest social worker in the world come to do our home study. He was a semi-retired worker, a man in his 70s. Initially, my ignorant, stereotypical thoughts arose in my head. I thought, great, we have this straight guy in his 70s coming over to decide if my husband and I are going to be good parents. But he made those thoughts look pretty ridiculous in reality. He was well-versed in LGBT terminology and cultural competency. He was a sweetheart. He really yeah, was. he was great. Uh, so over two days, he spent two hours with Matt, two hours with me, and then two hours with us together. We filled out lots of questionnaires beforehand and... Two questionnaires. Oh, two. Thank you. Two questionnaires. <laughs> well, two is lots. Uh, <laughs> and the time that we spent uh, talking was about those uh, answers. It was great. It was like uh, free therapy. It was kind of fun, too. Well, it's not really fun, but he actually took the questionnaires and based a lot of his questions off those questionnaires. We got one of the questionnaires ahead of time uh, from the social workers, and then... We got another questionnaire from him that he asked us to fill out and turn in the next day. So, I mean, the questions were pretty straightforward. I mean, there wasn't anything that was, you know, secretive and all that. They asked a lot of questions about your childhood. They asked about your family and how you were brought up. Um, they asked about characteristics about your family, your parents. How did you think of, uh, you know, what characteristics did they have when you were younger as a kid? 
When you went to high school? What are their characteristics now? They asked questions about discipline. That was a big one. Um, how did you get disciplined? How do you feel about disciplining? Um, one of the rules with foster kids is that there's no spanking. So I know when I grew up, I was spanked. And that was, you know, it was like no problem. And they asked questions like, okay, well, you were spanked. How do you plan to discipline your foster kids soon to be adopted? So we talked about this. And we just went into a lot of great questions about this. Um, they asked questions about Adam and I. And it was funny. The hardest question was, what was your last argument about? Mm. Um, Adam and I, we both grew up with a lot of leadership backgrounds. We did a lot of leadership camps uh, through our young adulthood. So our communication styles is pretty open. And it was funny because we would just say something very simple like, football hmm. you know i'm not a football fan adam is and he was like oh so you guys argue about tv and all that we're like no not really just a lot of football and then adam mentioned that a perfectly appropriate amount of football a little bit more than normal and when i say a little a lot and then adam brought up that i like to shop on amazon incessantly and so the gentleman that our interviewer was like oh do you shop to the point of being in financial burden. I was like, no, 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 no. There's no financial burden here. It's just, I like to buy a couple things here and there and all these boxes come in. So these were the type of questions they asked and these are the type of feedbacks they give us. Um, as Adam mentioned too, is that they do talk about backgrounds of your family. If there has been depression or anyone that has um, any illnesses or health situations, they do want to know about your health background too to know what type of situation these kids are coming into. But, like, we have family members that are alcoholics. We have family members that have been through, you know, depression. And we brought that up, and he just kind of asked questions like, oh, you know, how did that make you guys feel? How are they involved in your family? And, you know, we were just very honest and upfront. So, I mean, it wasn't tough in regards to, we, we had, it was more, it was tougher for what we were expecting than the reality. Because he was just so welcoming. And I think a lot of the questions about childhood seemed irrelevant to me at the time. I wondered why they questioned so much about it. But now, after our experience for the past year, it's interesting to see how much... Our family's influence. Yeah, how much muscle memory is when you are in a situation where you need to discipline, how you reach back into your toolbox of what you've experienced in your life. And so they just want to make sure that the experiences that you have are going to be informing those in in a positive and appropriate way. I loved the entire experience. It forced us to think about this entire parenting thing from many different angles. And I wish we all had to go through something like this before making big decisions. It was great. Yeah, it was, that, it was a way of getting to know each other. When we were done, the worker wrote up everything that we talked about and submitted it to the director to see if she had any concerns. And... Then we got to read everything as well, and we sign it, and then it goes to an, into our file for when they think that they have a good child placement for us. Uh, the social workers can read all about us and see if we're a good fit. And after our home study was approved, we were certified as a foster-to-adopt family in two counties. And when we described the entire process, again, people often have a reaction that it's too much, but it isn't. Some people have Lamaze class and prenatal vitamins and contractions to get ready to, for parenting. This was our path, and 
I don't think I would change anything about it. So for more information about the certification process or to let us know your certification experience, please find us at fosteradoption.org or on Facebook. And also please go on to iTunes and leave us a review for, so more people can find us. Thank you to our special guest, uh, Matt. Um, and please check out the next episode because it's about the phone call that changed our lives. Thank you.